You may be seated. Thanks, Hansane. Well, good morning. Welcome to Ridge Stop Church. My name is Robert, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we're excited to, to have you all. We've been going through Genesis, uh, starting from the very first chapter, first verse, and so we've had a few weeks to explore uh, the creation account, and we have learned that there is a God, that this God is self-existent, meaning He's always been, He always will be, He's not a, not a creation. He's also self-revealing, that He's a God who reveals Himself to human beings uh, like you and me. He does that in part through His creation, both the way that He does the creating and the finished product of creating. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, the, the way that He created, that He took this formless and void chaos and He formed it, and then He filled it. Uh, with, you know, plants and animals and fish and birds and the sun and the stars and the, and the moon. And in this very ordered, intentional way, uh, over, over this six-day framework, he creates the world. And then he creates human beings on that sixth day. Uh, and we, this was last week. We said this is his grand finale. And uh, he creates human beings in the image of God. Um, he entrusts them with the stewardship of the universe, and then he says the universe is very good, and he just kind of looks over this beautiful, awe-inspiring, powerful, functional cosmos that he has made, and then he rests, and he rests. This is the seventh day. Now, why is God resting? Well, it seems like on the surface... God's tired, right? He's, he's done a lot of work. He's created an entire cosmos. Um, perhaps, perhaps he's tired. Well, he's not tired. And even Scripture would back me up on this, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament. Psalm 121.3 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's never clocking out of his sustaining of, of the universe job. Um, Jesus says as much to some religious leaders who are criticizing him for working on the Sabbath. And uh, he says to them, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So it's not that God's tired. Uh, so what is it? What, is, what, what are we to make of this God is resting um, and it's very profound uh, what, what is being communicated to us through this idea of a Sabbath rest. And so we're going to look at at least three ideas that I've get given uh, three different words that, that start with T, and they are time and terms and temple. So if you're taking notes, there's your, your three points, and you can kind of hang the things I'm saying on those three points. So I want to re read the first two verses that you just heard, Genesis 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so it repeats this, that God has done this work, that he has created the world, uh, the heavens and the earth that God is the sovereign over everything. 
Uh, that makes sense that God would be the authority over the very thing that he has made. Um, and this usually brings to mind things like, well, he, he has authority over the trees and the rivers and the mountains. And yes, human beings, right? He's created human beings. Um, and we don't own those things. We don't even own ourselves. We are stewards or managers, or last week I used the word administrators of the things that God has created, and He's entrusted to us to steward. And that God in His authority over these things, including us, is favorable toward us, that He has blessed us, and He's moving toward His creation with much, much uh, favor. Um, Kind of as a, as a, a side note, but, but in, very important, be, because God has created all of this and given it to us to steward, God's people ought to be the first to acknowledge the need to care for the natural world. Um, the idea of caring for the natural world because it's a creation of God is not the usual motivation of, I would say, most environmentalists. Um, many of them would give their motivation as, actually, it's hard. It's actually hard for someone who is, doesn't have an idea of God being creator to, to give a reason for caring for the environment. Sometimes it's said, we want to take care of it for our children, which, I mean, that has some, uh, so, some, some credence, but <clears throat> it does fall a bit flat. In this book, Confessions of a Recovering Environmentalist, Paul Kingsnorth describes his why of taking care of the environment. He writes this, call me a heathen. He says, I take that as a compliment, but for me, the sacred can't be found in human things alone. This is not an intellectual or a political position. It's just how I feel because of the things I have experienced. From as early as I can remember, I've regarded trees and rivers and mountains and the ocean with awe. I have what others would call spiritual experiences in all of these places. I've yelled with joy in the heart of rainforests. I felt overwhelmed by something much greater than myself in deserts at midnight with no light but the stars. Stars I can never see in my overdeveloped homeland. As you hear him describing this spiritual, transcendent experience in nature. And we see that and we say, that's because there's a transcendent someone behind nature, the creator of the universe. A friend that had sent me the writings of of this uh, author, uh, I I was texting back and forth with him and, and I said, man, this guy is so close to becoming a Christian. And then he texted me back and he says, Actually, he became a Christian in 2021, and he sent me a podcast of an interview with this guy t- telling about his conversion to the Christian faith, which I can share with you if, you, if you're interested. But God is a, a creator of more than just the things of creation. He's also the creator of time itself. Um, God's rule and reign includes time. He is king over the things and the time. God, who is timeless and eternal, has created a world that is not timeless. He's actually baked in time as part of the created 
order. So not only are we a steward of the things of creation, but we're also a steward, a manager, administrator of the time that has been entrusted to us. And what is God's first command regarding time? The first command is rest. Rest. This is what he wants us to do with our time, first and foremost. Now, you may be hearing that and saying, wait a minute, I thought we read back in Genesis 1, God saying, I want you to have dominion over the the earth, I I want you to steward it, manage it, uh, administrate it, and it is true, but we are not the ultimate authority over those things. God is the ultimate authority over those things. And so, when we say, okay, boss, what do we do? His first command is to Shabbat, which is translated rest in our English translations. And this idea of a Shabbat, a rest, every week is central to the life of the Old Testament people of God. Um, It's even included in the Ten Commandments. So we can read places like Exodus 20, uh, the the, the commandment being talked about here in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." You can see in that fourth commandment, hearkening back to the creation pattern that God laid down in uh, the days of creation, Um, Bruce Waldke in his commentary on Genesis points out that the fourth commandment about the Sabbath uh, is linking the first three commandments that are about our relationship with God with the other commandments that are about relationship with God with human beings and the earth. And so the Sabbath becomes kind of a portal between God and the earth. Um, Both in the use and unuse of things, but also the setting the time aside for rest and for worship. Now, it turns out that human beings need rest. I don't know if you've heard of this, but we need rest. If we work and never rest, we break down mentally and physically. I asked ChatGBT about this. What, what happens, ChatGBT, if I work all the time and I never rest? Well, here's what ChatGBT says. Never taking a break from working can have negative consequences on both your physical and mental health. It can lead to burnout, which can manifest as chronic fatigue, increased stress levels, reduced productivity, Decreased job satisfaction. Additionally, neglecting breaks can hinder creativity, problem-solving abilities. It's important to strike a balance between work and rest for long-term well-being and sustained productivity. That's all the wisdom of the internet right there about rest. But way before ChatGPT, God knew about rest. He actually designed us to require rest. He created us in such a way that we need rest. I mean, partly we need rest every 24 hours. We have to sleep every 24 hours. I know some of you are trying to buck that, but actually you you need to sleep. 
Um, but then you also need rest every seven days. You're built for that. You're designed for that. Um, God even puts regular uh, festivals, week-long festivals in the calendar for the Old Testament people of God where they stop working and they rest and they worship. He even has a sabbatical year every seven years that's put in the Jewish calendar. And so you have a whole year every seven years that you commit to rest and to worship. Then you have a year of jubilee every 49 years, which means that at least one time in your life, there's an extra year tagged on to at least one of your sabbatical years. So you have two years off to rest and to worship. Um, this was good. This is good for human beings to be given this opportunity to rest and to worship. Jesus himself explains it this way to some religious leaders who had made the Sabbath very burdensome. Um, and he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so the idea is that the Sabbath is a blessing that is bestowed on human beings. And yes, it, it's in the commandments, right? It's a command, but the commandment is a blessing, as are all of God's commands, which we talked about last week. Now, that's a nice thought, um, but Israel was consistently getting in trouble for not keeping the Sabbath. Here's one uh, example in the prophets where they're uh, getting called to, on the carpet about not keeping the Sabbath. Ezekiel 20, verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. This breaking of Sabbath is incredibly serious to God. And you can see his, his anger over that, also his concern for the, the nation of Israel, saying, if you would do this, you would live. This command brings life. It brings thriving. Notice that God says, I gave them my Sabbath. So the sense is that God is continuing to take the Sabbath on the seventh day, and he's inviting Israel in to that Sabbath with him. Um, He's a, he sounds like a good like a like a parent, a concerned parent that's like, I am so mad at you, and I want you to thrive. I want you to live according to my good commands. So this idea of not just stewarding the things of creation, but stewarding the time that we've been given, and that includes taking rest from our work. Now this pattern in the in the creation account of starting with rest and moving to work, also speaks to the terms of the relationship that we have with God. Now think about this. Humans are created on the sixth day. The day ends. Adam and Eve go to sleep. They wake up on day seven, and they say, what's on the to-do list, God? God's like, rest? First things first, we've got to rest. Yeah, but we haven't done anything yet. I know. I want you to rest. 
But we want to pay you back, God. I mean, this, this universe is amazing, and you gave it to us to manage? No, you're going to rest. But what if the garden doesn't get tended, and there's not any food for us tomorrow? Rest. Rest. That's the only thing on the to-do list, is to take a Sabbath. And um, most of us, either we don't rest, or the way we think about rest is, I'm going to work really hard and earn my rest. I deserve this rest because I've worked so hard for it. That is not the pattern that we see in the created account, creation account. It's not the pattern that we ever see in God's economy. It always is rest, and then out of rest, then you work. Um, this, this is really hard for Israel. <laughs> they, they refuse to keep the Sabbath oftentimes, and it's really hard for us. Now, why? Why is it so hard to move in this pattern of rest and then out of rest work. Well, at the root, it's a worship problem. When we see ourselves as the ultimate kings and queens of our dominion, well, of course, we can't rest. But if God is the ultimate king over our dominion, then we can take orders from him. And when his order is rest, then we can take that and and do it. Um, When we can't trust that God is actively working in our domain. Of course, we're not going to rest because we think we're the ones that have to make it happen. And so what happens is we fail to get what we want or we get what we want and we're so wiped out and dissatisfied that we really don't enjoy it once we get it. And I'm saying this because I've done it so many times. To, to, to work as if the only way anything's going to happen is if I do it. And so this is the other thing that is being communicated by this idea of Sabbath is this idea of temple. This is your third point. And, and you see in verse 3 of chapter 2, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God makes the day holy the Hebrew word kadash, and one, one of the facets of meaning, holy has, has multiple facets here, but one facet is it's something that's set apart. It's set apart to God. It's set apart for God. Jewish writer uh, Abraham Heschel, in his book called The Sabbath, uh, he says this, one of the most distinguished words in the Bible is the word kadash, or holy, a word which more than any other is representative of the mystery and the majesty of the divine. Now, what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Was it a mountain? Was it an altar? It is indeed a unique occasion at which the distinguished word kadash is used for the first time. In the book of Genesis, at the end of the story of creation, how extremely significant is the fact that it is applied to time. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. There's no reference in the record of creation to any object in space that would be endowed with the quality of holiness. Now, doesn't mean that other 
things aren't set apart for God and His purposes. Our other days aren't set apart for God and His purposes. But He's letting us know that not only is the creation His, uh, his domain, right, his, his temple, but time itself is His temple, right? Space and time are the temple of worship uh, for God. And we as human beings will thrive when we set apart a day out every week to rest and to worship. We're going to thrive emotionally. We're going to thrive physically. We're going to thrive spiritually. We're, we're built for that. So it's not just rest. It's also worship, setting aside time to worship God in the temple of His uh, universe, reminding ourselves that we are not the ultimate kings and queens of our dominion. Like, we need this time of, of, of worshiping together, worshiping the one true God on Sunday morning, just to remind ourselves that the king of the universe, uh, God, is the one in charge of our domains and that He is intimately involved. Time and space, that is, all of reality, is God's holy temple. At this point in creation, there's no brick-and-mortar temple, right? It's the universe that is the temple for the worship of God. God is not a tribal deity who's tied to a particular people group or a plot of land or one sacred building. He is God of the universe. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he ends his book in the final chapter with these words, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Just here in those, those, those words of God, he, he's declaring himself as the ultimate sovereign of the universe, that heaven's, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, and that the holy temple includes both the things and time itself. And our response to this reality, right, is a humble and contrite spirit and trembling at God's word. That's just descriptors of worship. That when we come to understand the Creator God and what He, who He is and what He's done, it should elicit worship from our hearts. And so one of the ways to think about the Sabbath is this holy day that we're setting apart uh, for God, but that in that experience, we are being set apart for God as we worship Him, uh, the one true God. We hear this in Exodus 31. God says this to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, that's big, above all, you should keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So you can see that saying to the people of God, I want you to set apart this, this Sabbath day and you are going to be sanctified or you're going to be made holy or set apart by me in that Sabbath. So what does all this have to do with Christians, right? Is this part of what we're supposed to follow, or are we off the hook for uh, keeping the Sabbath? And there is a sense in which the New Testament believer is off the hook for strict Sabbath keeping. 
Uh, we read in places like Romans 14, where Paul is addressing a, a church in Rome that's primarily Gentile, so they're not used to doing any kind of Sabbath keeping or kosher eating, and he writes this, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So again, you have a minority Jewish population in the church, a majority Gentile population, and he's encouraging the Gentiles to respect the Sabbath-keeping and kosher eating of the Jewish Christians. And he's saying to the Jewish Christians, hey, it's okay if these Gentiles are not Sabbath-keeping and kosher eating, right? We can live together, centered on the gospel, and we don't need to uh, keep this strict kosher eating or Sabbath-keeping. Um, that said, I think we can learn a tremendous amount from the Sabbath-keeping that we see in the Old Testament. I mean, one is that God is an ultimate authority, not over, just over things, but over time. Our time belongs to God, right? And, and, and so we're stewards of that time. One of the ways I think about this is, is you know, if you, if you put all your hours in a, in a week and, you, and you've got just a, an open page of, you know, Sunday through Saturday and, and you're kind of hovering over the formless and void schedule and you should be thinking of it like that, like, I'm not the authority over my schedule. Lord, what do you want me to do to steward my time? Now, we do the same thing with, with money, or we should. It's not my money. It's the money that you've given me to manage and to administrate. God, help me. But uh, we're talking about time this morning. And hovering over that and saying, God, what, what is this? What, what, what do you want me to do with this? And, so, and some of that is to be rest and worship. There's no doubt that that is to be the pattern, part of the pattern of our use of time week in and uh, week out. And again, I don't, I don't think this is, needs to be a strict observance of uh, a, a Sabbath, like a straitjacket, but, but figuring out a weekly rhythm of rest that then leads to work. And that rest includes setting a time aside to worship with God's people. You're doing it this morning, right? You're setting time aside. Uh, to worship with God's people. You are resting and worshiping. And this is part of this, this re restorative thing that God did in his Old Testament people, Israel. He wants to do in his New Testament people, uh, the church. And I, I think what serves as rest is different for different people. I know uh, for me, especially when we owned our own home, lawn work was actually restful for me. Because all week, I had been meeting up with people, writing sermons, doing Bible studies, doing the pastor life, right? And so to be able to take my phone and put it on the kitchen table and go, you know, take a loud lawnmower and just for an hour and a half just push that thing around and sweat, it was so restorative for me. Now, if I was a landscaper and I did landscaping all week, that probably wouldn't be very restorative for me, right? So you got to figure out, like, what, what is going to be restful? What's going to be restorative. Um, it might be reading a book that's for fun. That's, that's restorative for me. I mean, I do read during the week for my job, 
But to read a book that I don't, I don't really, I'm not reading because I'm preparing for something is actually very restorative. Exercise is restorative for me. For some of you, you're like, I hate exercise. I, I do it because I have to. But hey, that, that's not, that's not your, your rest. Um, but just figuring out what, what is restful, what is restorative. It doesn't necessarily mean just sitting in a chair staring at the wall, although you could do that too, right? That's, that, that could be restful and restorative. But, but looking at your time as a steward and understanding that part of that time needs to be dedicated to rest and to worship. In regard to the terms of our relationship, just being reminded that God always initiates the relationship with grace. This is always, always his pattern. I mean, even when he's giving the law at Mount Sinai through Moses, he first says, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember when I brought you? It's by grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't pay for it. It was, it was by grace. And then he's asking them to respond to that grace by submitting to his commands. In all of these grace to work, rest to work patterns that we see in the Old Testament, they're all foreshadowing the ultimate grace to work pattern of Jesus Christ. I read this verse to you guys last week, but I think it's pertinent uh, this week as well. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see that pattern of it's by grace you're saved. God initiates this relationship through Christ and what he did for you at the cross to pay for your sins. And then, yes, in response to that grace, you're going to do good works. But even that is being sustained by grace. And so this morning you may be thinking, what do I have to do to become a Christian? And the answer is rest. That's the answer. Rest in the grace that was given to you through Christ at the cross when he died to forgive your sins. You rest in that. Rely on that. Put your trust in that. Put your faith in that. This is how you become a Christian. Um, Is he going to call you to do good works? Yeah. But that's actually good for you. The commands he gives you are good. They're blessings. They're not means of earning his love or earning some kind of salvation. You're doing it because you've already been saved by grace. Now, you may be asking, well, what do I do once I become a Christian? Rest. You rest. You continue to rest upon, rely on, put your hope in, your trust in grace that's been given to you at the cross. I think some of us, we agree, yes, yes, I was initially saved by grace, but after that, I've really got to earn it. I, the, the rest of it is me trying harder. No, it, you can be further from the truth. Growing as a Christian is actually learning more and more how to rely on grace, how to rest more in the grace that's been given to us through Christ. In our study in Philippians this week, uh, we, we read this verse from Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that sounds like grace, 
will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, right? All grace. It's, it's grace. Again, does it mean you're not doing anything? Does it mean you're not exerting any effort? No, it, you, you are. But it's by faith. It's, it's through reliance on grace that God has given us. And so God is inviting us always to enter His rest, both the rest of, of creation, but also the, His rest of recreation that He has provided through Jesus. So those are the terms of the relationship and how the, the, the Sabbath reminds us of that. And then thirdly, the temple, we, we understand better the worship of Jesus. Right? We've been saying that the whole universe is, is God's temple, and so we worship Him in His temple, and those concepts, I think, should loom large in our Christian thinking. Um, it also helps us understand Jesus. Uh, here's what I mean. Colossians 1, Paul says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You can see Paul is saying, look, Jesus, he, He's God. He's the sovereign. He's the ultimate. He created all things, heaven and earth, seen and unseen, dominions and all, all, all the things that are in the created universe. But then he lets us know that this one who's created all things has broken in to the created order. He writes this in the next few verses. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he's letting us know that just, just as the Sabbath was kind of this breaking in from heaven to earth, it was pointing forward to a greater breaking in, which was Jesus. And that Jesus, not just in taking on human flesh, but dying on the cross for our sins, is yet again offering Sabbath rest. Rest from our works of trying to save ourselves and finally allowing Him by grace to save us. We're reminded of this every time we, we come to this table. The, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, the, the night before His death, the one who created quarks and atoms and elements and substances and eventually these things can come together and form bread. That one, he held a piece of bread in his hand, human hands, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he told them, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. That, 
reconcile language that you just heard me read from Colossians. Part of what it's describing is that because of sin, heaven and earth are disintegrated. They are separated. And Jesus is saying, in this new covenant where he is going to die for sin, he's going to reintegrate heaven and earth. And so we can now know him, the one who created us, the one who has saved us. So this is in part what we're celebrating as we come together around this table to take the bread and the cup. We are reconciled with the God who created us and the God who recreated us on this day of rest and worship. If you are a Christ follower, we welcome you to the table to celebrate this with us. If you're not yet a Christ follower, we're glad you're here. Uh, we really, in, in large part, we, we planted this church so that you'd have a place to come and hear the good news about Jesus. And so during this time, if you're not yet a Christian, I'm going to encourage you to stay in your seat and to think about what you're hearing and to pray, because this is a signifier of being a Christ follower, okay? And then I would encourage you to reach out to somebody after the, the service. I'm happy to talk, but anyone else that you know is a Christ follower to ask the questions that you might have or have further conversations about what it means uh, to be a Christian. But if you, you are a Christ follower, you're welcome to the table. Now, if you've never done this with us before, the way this works is those that want to take communion, they're going to line up in the middle here, and uh, the, they're going to walk to me, and I'm going to give you the bread, and then you're going to walk over to Steve, and he's going to give you uh, the cup, and you can just go back to your seat with both of those elements and take it whenever you're ready. You don't have to wait for me to give you any kind of an indicator. You can pray. You can respond to what you're hearing. Uh, take time to, to, to relate to God and then take it whenever you're ready. And then we'll sing a couple songs and we will send you out. So let me, let me pray and then uh, you can come when you're ready. God, we thank you for um, this opportunity that we get to worship the one true God, the God who has created all things and has also made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and redeemed, reconciled in relationship uh, with you. And uh, thank you for the cost that you paid to make that happen, uh, the breaking of your body, the pouring out of your blood. And we remember that this morning, and we pray that you would, would bless this time as uh, we relate to you uh, through faith and by grace. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.